0: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. we got a big program coming up today. I'm going to save it in the one, for the 1 o'clock hour, so if you're eating your lunch right now, you don't have to worry about it. But at the same time, we are spending millions of dollars putting in a streetcar that nobody is going to ride. Rat infenta- infestations in Milwaukee, West Dallas, Wauwatosa. What are authorities doing about it and why does nobody seem to think it's a big deal? Kimberly Clark wants to hold the state hostage. Tony Evers wants to throw millions of dollars into MPS. And we start off with an amazing story about the Milwaukee County bus system. We are up on Facebook Live. We do this for the first couple segments of every show nowadays. Go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can participate and you can watch. I actually kind of dressed up for the show today. Actually, I I dressed up because I'm doing a a charity event for uh, some people up in West Bend this evening. So I'm going to go right there after work. My wife is actually the star of this. I'm just kind of like tagging along, but should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to that. But Facebook.com/slash six twenty WTMJ. Before we launch into the bus story, I, I did. I do want to just comment on something that is out there. It, it is an underplayed success story. For years and years, I have argued that Milwaukee is a really, and with Milwaukee in general, and in the state also, th- this is a good. This is a good sports area. And you are starting to see this play out with the Brewers' attendance. Now, the Brewers have had a special season. There's no question about it. They're two games behind the Chicago Cubs. Um, They're on pace unless the bottom completely falls out to, at a minimum, get into the wild card playoff. But they might even still be able to overhaul the Cubs. Haven't given up on that. And fans have been coming out. Now, here's the deal. There are 30 teams in Major League Baseball, 30 teams. And the Milwaukee team plays in one of the smallest markets around. That is just the reality. Yet the numbers that are released right now show out of those 30 teams, the Brewers' attendance on an average basis, we are in the top 10. Milwaukee Brewers fans have showed up. We are number 10 out of 30. Now let me put this in perspective. At Miller Park, they are averaging almost 35,000 fans a game at Miller Park. That's about 84% of capacity, and, and that includes Monday night games in, in April. That, that's what that includes. Um, they estimate there's nine home games left. Based on their projections and all, it appears that the Brewers are going to draw somewhere north of 2.8 million fans, and that'll put them like ninth or, or tenth. Now, here are the teams that have drawn more. And listen to this. The L.A. Dodgers, okay, they're playing in L.A., New York Yankees, San Francisco uh, Giants, Chicago Cubs, Los Angeles Angels, Boston, Houston, Colorado, and St. Louis. Those are the teams that are drawing more. But look at the teams that are drawing less, and in many cases, substantially less. Like I say, average attendance, There's the Brewers are in number 10 right now. They could move up a little bit, but there's nobody that's going to catch them Um Washington, Atlanta, Toronto, Seattle, New York Mets, Philadelphia, Arizona, that's Phoenix, San Diego, Texas, that's essentially the Dallas area, Minnesota, Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, Baltimore, Cincinnati, the Chicago White Sox, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Miami, all those teams in much larger cities in general, way behind in attendance. It is a tribute to the Brewers, the Brewers organization, it is also a tribute to Milwaukee fans to southeastern Wisconsin fans and to Brewers fans all across the state who are turning out in, in droves. I mean it's it, you know it's it is possible that I don't know if attendance had been a little bit better at the very beginning of the year but I understand you know schools in session it's tough to go out on a Tuesday night in April. But if attendance had been a little bit better, just a little bit better, they might have been uh, have the possibility of drawing over 3 million fans. But as it is, they're going to draw 2.8 plus million. That is a huge success story. All right, let's get started. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and text line. And once again, we live stream this segment. We are on Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Fox 6 had this story yesterday, and I admit on the one hand, it is a head scratcher. On the other hand, it raises an interesting issue. Now, Gru, who is producing the show for me today, the the cost of an average bus ride in Milwaukee County, $2.25. Now, there's there's ways you can get deeply discounted fares and things like that, but in general, it's $2.25. Now, what would you think would happen if somebody gets on the bus and doesn't pay? What would you guess would happen? All right, my producer Gru says then they wouldn't be allowed to ride the bus. Now that that on its surface makes a lot of sense. I mean if I go to a grocery store, I'm in the area of Sendex or Pick and Save or Metro Market or whatever, I get to the counter, I lay all my stuff out, they ring it all up, they say, Okay, you owe us eighty nine dollars and thirty one cents, and I say, I'm not going to pay. Well, you know, chances are they're not going to allow you to walk away with those groceries, right? That's just what you would think would happen. That is not what they do on the Milwaukee County bus system. If you get on the bus and you do not pay or do not pay what the cost of the fare is, the bus driver is allowed to ask you one time, um, you, you need to pay, it's $2.25 or whatever, If you refuse to pay again after being asked once, you just get to ride. They don't do anything. You get on a bus and you ride. Now, the estimates were, and I give credit to Fox 6 for having this, one of the county supervisors who was bringing this up says that on average, they estimate that the bus system loses $28,000 a month by people who refuse to pay either in whole or sometimes in part, for their bus fares. This this translates into $337,000 a year. Their policy, once again, is that drivers can only ask once for a fare. And if the person refuses to pay, that's it. Now, on the one hand... Let's let's play this out because I want to get your reaction to this. And, and, and here's here's both sides of the story, which makes it interesting to me. On the one hand, like I say, it is absurd. I would argue that if it costs $2.25 to ride the bus, it is absurd to allow somebody to ride the bus without paying. And as a matter of policy, that's what they essentially do. They, they let you ride without paying, which means that if you are one of those people that are paying to ride the bus, you are effectively, what's the word I'm looking for? You are a chump. Because, well, you are, because you're going to get to ride for free if you decide not to pay. I don't know how else to say it. You're a chump because you are paying and there's other people that don't. Now, in fairness, in fairness, here's what the bus company says. The bus company says, well, number one, we don't want our drivers to get in confrontations with the would-be passengers. So that's, so what, what's going to happen? A person refuses to pay. We don't want the driver to essentially have to get into a fight. Drivers are already, they've got enough problems. They're kind of hanging out there by themselves. We don't want them to have to engage with the person who decides that they don't want to pay. Secondly, the county supervisor says, well, all right, maybe what they should do is they should refuse to drive the bus. They refuse to move the bus. All right, we're not going anywhere until you either get off or pay. Well, the problem is, what does that do to bus schedules, and what does it do to all the other people They've got to get to work. you're on the bus, and all of a sudden the bus isn't pulling away from the curb because the bus driver's got some deadbeat up at the front who's refusing to go so the the supervisor is saying, look we we you know we've got to figure out a way we cannot allow this to go on. We cannot allow all these free riders and then you have um, another county supervisor Marina Dmitrievek, who's the former county board chairperson who's way out to the left she says well we, we don't need to change these policies um, you know we can't criminalize people who are unable to pay the bus fare all right 414-799-1620 that is the equitable mortgage talk and text line what is the answer to this the county loses tens of thousands a month in people who get on the bus and refuse to pay. As a matter of policy, the drivers, they ask once, if a person refuses, then they just drive off. So you get to ride for free by refusing to pay. It costs several hundred thousand dollars a year to the system. Do we need to reform this, or is it just not worth it? Is it not worth it because it's obviously going to If you ask the bus drivers to try to collect this, it's going to spark a confrontation. Um, If you say, okay, we're just going to park and you're not going to move the bus, well, then you delay everybody else. 414-799-1620, is this just a cost of doing business? Should Milwaukee County continue to allow the free riders to ride for free? 414-799-1620, I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss if you're on the line, please hold on. And once again, we're live streaming facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. There may be no such thing as a free lunch, but there's definitely such thing as a free bus ride. All you have to do is um decline to pay. 414-799-1620. 1218 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
1: Another one rides the bus
0: 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. One of the Milwaukee County Supervisors, Dan Sebring, is saying, look, the, the bus company, this is their policy. You get on a county bus. You refuse to pay. The driver is allowed to ask you to pay. If you don't, that that's, that's the end of it. They drive off. And I, I understand that what they're saying is we don't want the drivers getting in confrontations with people who refuse to pay, and we don't want the bus to sit by the side of the road. We don't want to delay schedules which means, though, that you are allowing people to ride for free if they simply decide that they don't want to pay. All right, we're joined by Brendan Conway, who is a spokesperson for the bus company. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So I just I thank you for the conversation. It's important. I think we always talk about these issues. I just want to point out a few things, and you're you're right. I think your sum, summary is pretty good. I would point out that the amount lost for fair revenue, so $336,000, is what the supervisor, the number he got, which is probably pretty close, is 0.1 percent of our overall revenue. Right. So we're going to collect 35 million dollars a year in revenue. So when we have to balance that with keeping on time, you have 20 people on a bus. They're getting to work. They're getting to school. They're getting a connection. And you you pointed this out, but I think it's important to remind people: somebody gets on and they can't pay two twenty-five mm-hmm. cash. They have two dollars. They have a dollar. They have nothing. Should we punish everybody else and make them wait to make them late? 20 minutes miss be late for school, right? Miss work. Do those type of things. $4.225 or even 425 cents in this case. I mean, that I think is the constant struggle. Of course, the security struggle is also, uh, something that's top of mind as well.
0: Okay. So I guess my question would be, Brandon, um, and you're right. Overall, this is a relatively small percentage, but now that people find out you can ride the bus for free, but what if, what if now th- this doubles? Twice as many people simply decide we're not going to pay. Did you have to deal with this at some point in time?
2: Sure. Well, and people should know if somebody gets on, we can call security. So the bus will say, great, get on. We can call security and security will, will come. Now, the person could get off before then, right? Because it's stopping every few blocks. Uh, if someone gets on consistently, security will be on the bus that next day. So I mean, it's not that we stick our heads in the sand here. We do address this, but I think there has to be some reasonable give and take. Um, and you know, the reality is, What's going to stop people from parking in a handicapped spot? What's going to stop people from maybe stealing candy? Right, there are some rules, some regulations, some societal norms, and most people want to do the right thing most of the time. You got to make it easy for them. To that
0: do. My, my sense is, from people I've talked to about this, as as a general rule, that the bus drivers don't call security on this issue. Would that be fair? Uh,
2: probably more less than they do more. Correct.
0: Right. Okay. Good enough. All right. No, and I understand, Brian. I mean, I just I I get it. So I mean, the, the facts are right. You you can refuse to pay. They will allow you to ride. And and the bus company I understand says we don't want our drivers getting into fights over this, and we don't want to delay everybody else. So you just kind of sort of like sometimes when people turn their back on shoplifting, you just ignore it because it you consider it to be a small problem compared to the overall issues. Fair
2: fair i mean listen we want we want to collect 100 sure 100 sure right so i don't want anyone thinking well MCTS doesn't care the county doesn't care that's not true but right when you weigh it against all the other things if somebody i guarantee you ask those 20 people on the bus who are trying to get to work oh, on yeah. time they would say let them ride we want to get to where we're going right
0: or or i mean i think if i were on the bus my reaction would be throw them off and what you're saying is no that, that would, well, my reaction sure. would be throw them off but what you're saying is that you're not unless there's a security person on every bus you're not going to, they're not the bus driver. You don't want him to have to do that. And the bus driver's unions don't want to have to do that.
2: Totally. Yeah, listen, I mean, look, I, I don't want to do it, right? I'm a relatively in shape 40-year-old 40, 40 guy. I don't want to do it. We have drivers who are older, younger, male, female, larger, smaller. We don't want to put people in these confrontations. And also, you know, you might have someone who just needs a break that day. They left a quarter at home. Right. Should they not get to where they're going because they, you know, a quarter fell out of their pocket or they don't have that $1? I mean, I think that's, you know, there, there again, has to be some... Uh, fair give and take.
0: Okay, thanks for the call. That's Brandon Conway from the bus system. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Again, my reaction to this would be, if if the situation was somebody's a dime short, I I understand. That's one where you turn the other way. I, think the, the address, the problem that the county supervisor, though, is trying to address is the people who just decide that they don't want to pay. And now that it is public that this is the policy, is this going to lead to more people? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bill in Mount Pleasant. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything that, uh, said. I think the biggest, and, and I agree with, you know, so many goes down with the court,
0: Right, sure. There.
1: You know, they're short and that's the way it is, so you just let it go. See the the problem is people that will never pay ever. Right. And and the problem really with that is that they're looking for compensation a lot of times. So those are the problem people first I don't see uh I mean I think they're handling it as well as they can. Uh, I don't know if a say a free bus ride every uh in inconvenient times, a little shuttle, not a regular bus, smaller bus a free shuttle after every three or four paying bus ride comes by. You'll have a little shuttle bus that, okay, if you can't afford it, there's a free bus at this time on a regular schedule. It's a Mm -hmm. tiny little shuttle bus, you know.
0: Yeah, I guess, I mean, I'll I'll tell you, this is how I handle this. And I I mean, and I understand this is overtly simplistic. I don't think the bus driver should get into confrontations, all right? I, I appreciate that. They've got enough on their plate. I don't think that you should delay the buses but this this is an argument for more security people on the buses and this is something that I have been arguing about for for years for a variety of reasons. If you have and my guess is, my guess is that if you do the math on this, there are some routes where this never happens and there are some routes where this happens a lot and I, I think the answer then is, More security people on the buses so that when somebody gets on the bus and decides that they don't want to pay, then what you do is you have that security person that ushers them off. And if they refuse – and again, I'm not talking about the person that's short a dime. That's not it. I understand you cut somebody a break there. They're short a quarter. But I'm talking about those people that decide that they just don't want to pay and they want to ride for free, and maybe they are looking for a confrontation. Well, you you just can't let them ride for free. And I I think you know that's the justification for more security people. The security person in a situation like that – asks the person to leave if the person refuses to leave well then they're trespassing and then you know you take it from there and you end up discouraging this i mean i, I think that's how you handle it let's talk to um let's see joanne in west Dallas. joanne you're in wtmj good afternoon
3: hi thank you um this is a little bit off subject but i just wanted to bring up um i've lived in west Dallas for about 20 years now and i go out in the evening sometimes or afternoon just to get a Diet Coke at McDonald's or something. And I've just noticed uh, every single time that there's either one person on a bus that goes by or no people. And uh, it's gotten to be a joke almost with my neighbors about on such and such a date, I saw a person on the bus. And I've been wanting to write to Chris Abley thinking, does somebody do the demographics or something? Because it seems like you could save thousands and thousands of dollars Either to run less routes
0: or right or uh, or or, well or right thing. I mean, obviously you want to. I I mean, obviously you. Then they do constantly adjust the bus routes to you know deal with you know what what the needs are and those are things. But but yeah, I you you cannot allow this thing to to happen if you are losing uh, again hundreds of thousands of dollars. And my guess is. It's some routes where this never happens. It's some routes that happens all the time. And, And yeah, maybe this is a case where, yes, you take some of those security people that you have sitting around doing whatever they're doing, and you put them actually on the buses. I've candidly been arguing for more security presence on buses for years. I think that that would relieve a lot of the problems that the drivers face. I think that that would relieve problems the passengers face. And now you know that, again... Right now, they think they're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. My guess is that now the word gets out. I think you're going to have more people that decide they just want to scam the system. There may be no such thing as a free lunch, but at least for some people, there is a free bus ride. 1236 Jeff Wagner WTMJ a Central Division title within reach and the status of quarterback Aaron Rodgers Greg Matzik shares his thoughts on both the Brewers and the Packers this evening Sports Central starting at 607 our coverage then of the third game between the Brewers and Cubs that's about 635 or 640 tonight so be sure to tune in all right Um we, we we live stream the first couple segments of the program. A number of people ask you, why don't you do more? And there's, there's a number of technical reasons for it. But maybe as time goes on, we'll consider because I know a lot of people like to see that. We can see the responses. In addition, if you want to go back and watch that, um, it's up there. Just go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can watch the segment as well. In addition, if there's parts of the show that you miss and you want to hear it, just go to our podcast page, WTMJ.com the um, mobile app section, subscribe to the podcast. I know a number of people do that. I, I, we were we were actually just swamped with feedback on that, that free bus rider story. Um, here's one of the notes. This is Brian. Maybe one-tenth of one percent of cars get stolen in Milwaukee. I guess we shouldn't arrest people for car theft either. Maybe one-tenth of one percent of customers at gas stations drive off without paying. I guess we shouldn't arrest people for stealing at gas pumps either. The city needs a serious check of their value system. Um, let's see. Jeff, your bus story. Uh, makes my blood vessels in my eyes burst. What is wrong with the city? Now, this is the, the county and its leaders. You don't have to pay bus fares. There are no truancy officers enforcing attendance in school. No one has driver's licenses, and traffic laws are not enforced. The whole place seems to be falling apart. But, hey, we have a streetcar that goes nowhere. Dan text. in most cities, if somebody doesn't have the money to ride the bus, they can't ride. People need to pay. Um, and then it goes on and on and on. And, again, I my guess... My guess is that, like I say, the just like when the police chief in the city of Milwaukee talks about the 10 percenters, that 10 percent that of the criminals are responsible for 60, 80 percent of the crime. And I believe him. My guess is that these people who refuse to pay That's a very small overall percentage. And even out of that 337,000, my guess would be it's a small percentage of people who regularly have figured out how to scam the system and and do it. And that's why I I think... It might not be as difficult to crack down on this as you think. Find the routes where this is happening the most. Put security people on there. Hook them up in addition with the Milwaukee police. When somebody tries to get on the bus and be one of these free riders, you tell them you have to to leave. If they refuse to get off the bus, you call the police and then you go from there. That seems to me to be how I would handle it. I know some people in Milwaukee, especially on the county board, who, again, don't realize that they're dealing with taxpayer money and things like that, they would say, well, you're just criminalizing people who don't want to pay. Well, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And by the way, the bus rides, especially if you are low income, there's all sorts of things they do to give you an opportunity to ride the bus for certain types of discounts and things like that. So I appreciate that the bus company is in a bad situation on this. I get it. But it doesn't seem to me that you can allow people to just ride regularly for free, just saying. All right, Kimberly-Clark. Um, Kimberly-Clark, of course, is huge company, international company, based um, in part out of uh, central Wisconsin. Now, Kimberly-Clark has, well, what they did is last January, they announced that they were going to be cutting Thirteen percent of their global workforce. Okay, this isn't thirteen percent of the employees at Nina Manasha. This is worldwide staff reduction. Um, what What's happening is it's a difficult period for Kimberly Clark. They've had apparently two years of disappointing growth because it, it's in a difficult. They, they make paper products, and demand for a lot of their paper products has been decreasing. So they're in a bad part of their business cycle. So. They have to cut jobs. The plans to cut jobs involve about five thousand five hundred jobs nationally. That's not in the Fox River Valley. That's that's nationally. They're closing ten of their ninety-one manufacturing facilities. So that's that's what they're doing because, again, they're they're losing demand. What they're making is not in demand right now. Maybe it'll come back. Don't know. All right. So one of their, they say we're going to close two plants. And in Wisconsin, one is a plant in Nina. The other is a plant in Fox Crossing. Total, you're talking about 600 jobs, 500 jobs at one, about a hundred jobs at another. All right. So that, that's the deal. Wisconsin gets hit just like other Kimberly Clark facilities get hit. Well, Kimberly Clark says, well, hold on. You know, maybe, maybe we would reconsider closing our Wisconsin, at least one of the two plants, the the plant that has the 500. I think the plant that has the 100, that's going to close regardless. But Kimberly Clark goes to the state and they say, well, I'll tell you what, we would rethink our decision to close the Wisconsin plant if you give us a deal like you gave Foxconn. In other words, what they want, and, and I could go into the details, but let's not get bogged down in them. Uh, essentially, what they would be looking for is about a hundred million dollars in taxpayer payments that over what fifteen years or whatever, if they kept this one plant open. And the way it would break down is there would be tax credits, so the taxpayers would pick up about seventeen percent of the cost of of the jobs and a fifteen percent capital investment credit. But it's over it's over a hundred million dollars over the years if they were to keep this open and they're saying okay you gave this incentive to Foxconn to bring the Foxconn jobs here well give us this money um, if you want us to keep these existing jobs um... it's a tough sell the governor says he would be open to it the house of the the assembly passed a bailout bill like this but in the state senate there's not the votes for it you've got eighteen republicans you've got fifteen democrats Almost all, if not all, of the Democrats are opposed to this, and a number of the Republicans are opposed to it as well. So Governor Walker is saying, well, look, I'm sympathetic to this, but you know we've got an election coming up in November and it's just it's not going to happen. I, it's very difficult to make somebody take this vote beforehand. Kimberly Clark says doesn't matter. doesn't matter. you know we need to know and we need a commitment by the end of this month. That would be September or else it just doesn't matter, or else we're going to leave. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is this different from Foxconn? Now, Foxconn, there's no question, significant commitment of taxpayer resources to bring this new age manufacturing company, no U.S. presence, to bring them to Wisconsin and if it all works out, it's going to create 13,000 jobs. You're already seeing a lot of the spillover from Foxconn because they're already spending billions of dollars to build the facility. So you got people from all over working, building the facility. That was done for Foxconn. It was done to bring in new jobs for this new cutting-edge industry. Is Kimberly Clark entitled to the same thing? And should we shell out $100 of million over the years to keep Kimberly Clark operating at this one plant and essentially to mean that they shut some other plant down somewhere. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I don't think you can do this for Kimberly Clark. I think Kimberly Clark is different than Foxconn. And while I don't want to see them, I I I'd hate to see them close this plant and unemployed 500 people at the plant. I don't think we can allow the state to be held hostage Every time an existing manufacturer has to make cuts across the board worldwide because their industry is in decline, I don't think that they can hold the taxpayers of Wisconsin or any other state hostage. I think this is different than Foxconn. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss next. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mark in Muskego. Mark, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Jeff. Unfortunately, I don't think we can help Kimberly Clark. You know, I could see helping them. If they would have something that two or three years, four years, we could be going, wow, this is the next great thing. But if you look around at people's habits right now, they don't read books anymore. They read books on the Kindle. Mm -hmm. They don't take the newspaper anymore. They read JS online or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the demand for the paper products as we know it is decreasing. And unfortunately, you're just supporting an industry that uh, the need for that product as we know it is decreasing greatly unless they can say, wait a minute, we have something down the road that's going to be a wonderful item for everybody and we just need a couple of years to perfect it.
0: Right, and 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 if they were right, see to me, see Foxconn is talking about new new jobs. It's I think no I hope I'm right. Maybe I'll be wrong. Time will tell. But Foxconn is transformative. They're talking about bringing thirteen thousand people into the state, and then all yep. the corresponding businesses, as opposed to okay, this is what we have now. We are cutting back, um, so we're not in a growth mode, like you say. We're not in a growth mode. We're cutting back, but maybe we can cut some more somewhere else. I, I just think it's too. I think it's apples and oranges.
4: Oh, def, You know, it definitely is. And with Foxcom, the people that are supporting Foxcom, um, secondary industries, they are also using new, cutting edge, right devices, whatnot, to give the support for the paper industry. But it's not new it you, you right. you've got to have something wow I know in my industry if you were using the same technologies you used five ten years ago those technologies are no longer demand all those people that face of our industry they're out of business because there's no longer demand for their product
5: Yeah, so thank
0: right thanks I mean I get I do I mean I and that that's part of the problem I'd look I I appreciate that Kimberly Clark is a great corporate citizen and and you don't wish him well, but they're they're going through an economic downturn. Maybe they'll be able to turn it around. Typically what happens is these things end up getting worse. So to me, and one of my texters makes this point, Foxconn is an investment in the future. Kimberly Clark, this does kind of strike me as a ransom payment also Unemployment in this state right now, and look, I I don't want to see any of those five hundred people lose their jobs, right? But but there are economic. I felt the same way about Boston Store. I mean, you know, did did we talk about saying, okay, well, we've got to save these Boston Store jobs, so let's like pick up seventeen percent of wages? No, we 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 didn't do that. There there are going to be companies that, unfortunately, when they hit tough times, there are going to be layoffs, that there are going to be job losses, and I don't think you can have government come in and have the taxpayers bail out industries every time that happens. In addition, and I I don't want to be accused of being cold and callous here, but right now employers can't find enough people to do jobs. If there was ever a time where you could say, okay, well, it's terrible that you're going to have this one plant closing and 500 people are going to lose their job. If there was ever a time where maybe that would sting just a little less, it would be a time where you are having an explosion in job growth around here so that there's at least a chance, unlike maybe five or six years ago, that some of those people who end up losing their jobs might be able to find a different job. Let's talk to Greg and Jackson. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good
5: afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? Hi,
0: Greg. I'm good. Thanks. What do you think?
5: Hey, well, like I was telling your screener there, um, I've lived in the Milwaukee area for 25 years, but prior to that, I lived in the uh, town of Monash, which is now Fox Crossing. Right. I sat on the board up there, the town board, for seven years. And it was at the time when Kimberly Clark came to us and said, you know what, we need some help, or we have to move our corporate headquarters out of Wisconsin because the taxes are just so bad up here. So we gave them everything they wanted. I mean, we bent over backwards for them. And a year later, they packed up and went to Dallas. (laughs) You know, so it's like, and now they're doing it again. I mean, the plant they're talking about closing is probably 10 years old. Um, they just built it. Um, and it's like the last caller said he was talking about paper products. Well, they make feminine hygiene products, right? So there's still a call for it, but it's like, yeah, some of the older plants up there, they closed a long time ago, but their are newer ones. You know, if they need money to stay here, we did it once before for them right. and they just bailed and left, you know? So should we do it again? No, I don't think so. As much as I love Kimberly Clark and I have a lot of family members that work there, I can't see giving right. them any more state money.
0: Thanks for calling. No, and I think, and I will tell you, Kimberly Clark is now, they are playing political chicken with this by saying, and the governor, I mean, to his credit, no, look, Governor Walker wants to try to save these jobs. I, I think he's on the wrong side of this particular issue. But he says, look, I, after the election, you know, we, we can take this sort of thing up. But Kimberly Clark is saying, no, no, we we got to know this now. You know, we need a commitment by September 30th. Well, all right, the, the reality is, unless... Kimberly Clark, you can get a number of d- Democrats in the state Senate to decide that they want to go ahead with this bailout. It- it's just not going to happen. That- that's just the reality because you have a number of Republicans who in the state Senate who aren't, aren't going to do this and especially not going to do this a month before a- an election where you got to go to the polls and the voters who I think most people in the state are going to look at this and say, well, you know, what what about us? I mean, yeah, we, we want to try to save these jobs, but these aren't additive these aren't new jobs you've got an industry that is in decline and the truth of the matter is we can shell this stuff out but even if we do that we might uh, these things could be gone in the next couple years now again just like with Foxconn this isn't a hundred million dollars up front it is you know you, you get money every year that you end up staying but at the same time businesses succeed businesses fail and you do You do have, I think it's fair to say that you can use taxpayer money to try to, I don't know, lure businesses here, or in some cases, and I understand, I don't want to be accused of being hypocritical here, I'm a guy that supported, you know, Miller Park. I'm a guy that supported the building of the downtown Bucks Arena because I think all things said and done, that type of investment I think has served to the betterment of of the area big time. I think you come out ahead economically. I don't know that I'm convinced at all that the equation is the same when you're talking about, again, trying to you know save some jobs in a paper plant and the paper industry that's been struggling globally. If Kimberly Clark needs to know the answer by September thirtieth, I think the unfortunately the answer's got to be no. It's twelve fifty six. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, when we come back I couldn't do this during the 12 o'clock hour because I know there's a number of people who sit at their desks and listen to this program or sit in their kitchens and listen to this program, didn't want to interfere with the lunch hour. But when we come back, all right, one word, four letters, RATS. Rats. Yes, we are going to be talking about rats. We're going to be talking about rats in Wauwatosa. We're going to be talking about rats in Milwaukee. We're going to be talking about rats in West Allis. We're going to be talking about ra- rats in one of my colleagues' grills. Stick around. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. I've given you notice for 60 minutes about this topic. We are discussing the rat problem and the fact that you have <clears throat> people in these different communities that are sticking their head in the sand trying to pretend that there is nothing to see here. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about something that went on in West Dallas, and I, I, and I don't even remember what the issue was. And I, I had a number of people say, Jeff, you know, you, you, you want to understand how screwed up West Dallas is. You, you should look at the huge rat problem they have in West Alice. and I'm thinking, rat problem. Ugh. So I, you know, I start doing a little bit of research and, and yes, you can find for the last three years West Alice being overrun with with rats. <laughs> rats driving people out of their their backyards, people complaining about this, and administrators in West Alice kind of going, well, yeah, yeah, we got rats here, but let's not talk about this too much. So the rat problem is apparently not confined to West Alice. Um, A couple of the TV stations and the local newspaper over the last week have been talking about how Wauwatosa is being overrun with rats as well. There's a portion of the story from Channel 12. Wauwatosa homeowners say they've seen more rats recently than they've seen in the last 30 years. They see rats running across their yards and garages, eating through siding in their homes. I come out at 5 a.m. sometimes. I can see rats running across my yard, says Barb Schoenherr, a Wauwatosa resident. They're 9-inch rats. They're not small rats. They're as big as small opossums. Ugh! We've never had rats before there was never an issue and once the construction on State Street started all bets were off with the construction vibrating the ground that basically dislocated the existing rat population that was in their own territory and they spread out from there Now I don't know about you but as a as a homeowner as a homeowner, I don't want to be hearing something about existing rat population in my neighborhood. Call me funny that way uh, the Wauwatosa Health Department's director says, nothing to see here. The city currently only has 10 rat complaints on file, which tells me that lots of people aren't making rat complaints, but the village board is talking about it. Um, Channel 58 had a story. Wauwatos officials look for ways to solve rat problems. City officials say they have a rat problem and they're looking for ways to fix it. The city currently has a mitigation system in place, which includes working with a local pest management company. But apparently, that doesn't appear to be working very well. And then they go on with story after story. Wauwatosa Alderman, Tim Hansen, this is a story in the Journal Sentinel, has a constituent who lives on Wisconsin Avenue who caught 30 rats and a chipmunk. <laughs> 30 rats and a chipmunk. Wauwatosa has a rat problem, and they're looking at getting more aggressive in rat abatement to stop the spread of vermin in the city. I was telling some of my colleagues today that this is how I was going to start the 1 o'clock hour, talking about rats in these urban areas and how this cannot be allowed to go on. And one of my colleagues, honest to God, says, I found one in my grill. I said, what do you mean your your grill, like the grill of your car, like you ran one? No, nope. Live on 52nd and Center. Now, that's Milwaukee, but kind of getting close to Oatosa. Went out one morning, found a rat in my Weber barbecue grill. I then said, was the rat dead or alive? Now, I'm I'm not sure under these situations which way is best, but apparently the rat was alive. <laughs> Can you imagine you go out to your grill and there's a live rat? And my, my colleague said, I have never moved that fast in my life, which I can I can certainly understand. Now, there's a variety of reasons for this, but, you know, we talk about quality of life issues, and, I mean, I, I understand, okay, we've had a lot of rain lately, so there's a lot of mosquitoes out there. I get it. There's not a lot of stuff that you can do about mosquitoes, but, but rats overrunning our communities. And... So far, you've got city officials that apparently in these different communities are sitting there thinking, well, you know, I mean, we've got kind of this issue. Maybe maybe we should explore kind of, uh, I don't know, doing something about it. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Excuse me, but it would seem to me that given all the things that rats bring with them, including not just the ick factor, but destructiveness and disease – this needs to be an absolute and total priority. And the idea that, well, we only got ten complaints on file, we don't really kind of understand what the big deal is. Well, the big deal is there's rats all over. 414-799-1620. seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Sandy in West Dallas. Sandy, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sandy. Uh, I, uh, I my similar uh, my my, con- my condition is very similar to that of Wauwatosa. Um, last year, uh, there were rats running all over my backyard. mother rats with their babies all, you know and that the adults are big, big rats they 're running up and down the alley, running all over my backyard, not only in the evening but in the afternoon they're running around and so the city forced me to call Batsner. Okay. I ended up paying five hundred dollars to have you know Batsner come out true, you know, they've right. a number of times, and it seems like it's a little bit better by me. But I talked to the health department, I talked to the city officials, and I requested that the sewers be baited or something be done. And I asked, what was the city doing about this? And they told me that they could do nothing because it was not in their budget.
0: So the city of West Dallas essentially tells you you're on your own, Sandy. Yeah. And, and if there's if there's rats that are coming in or rats that don't, I, you, you you just have to, you've got to either live with it or deal with it.
3: Exactly. And my friend, uh, who also lives in West Dallas, was complaining over and over and over because the rats were running around next to her house and, and the city was doing nothing about it. And so finally, the rats got into her basement. Oh, oh. oh. And the, the, the same thing. This, she was on her own. And so what she ended up doing was there's a lawsuit now pending against the city of West Dallas, and she sold her house.
0: Oh, oh, thanks for the call. I, I'm, the, all right, I, I admit I can't get past the, the ick factor. Somebody was saying to me, somebody was saying, well, do you feel the same way about squirrels you do about rats? And, and no, I, I don't. But, of course, I, I, don't want, I don't want squirrels in my house either. But, no, rats. Rats bring disease with them. Rats are a quality of life issue. And whether it's construction on State Street that has disturbed the natural rat resting grounds, I, I don't, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, I would think that if you live, whether you're living, I mean, my, my colleague found a rat in his grill. He found a rat in his grill. Sandy. Has giant rats running around her backyard, and West Alice says there's nothing we can do. Wauwatosa says we've only got ten rat complaints on file. You know, all right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Look, I, I don't know how you get rid of rats, all right, and I maybe you can bring a Pied Piper. If you bring the Pied Piper in, you know, where where are you going to take all the rats? I, I I don't know, but but I do know that you you can't allow rats to take over communities and that appears to be precisely what is happening 4147991620 how should this be a priority to deal with and i guess i'm trying to think it, it, i mean I, I mean i picture like walking my my little dog and stuff you know outside i mean you, you think canadian geese are a problem my god can you imagine rats 4147991620 you've seen rats in Wauwatosa, rats in West Allis, do they need to be dealt with? Is this a major issue, or is it, well, we just don't want to talk about this, nothing to see here. 414-799-1620, it's 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the the folks in Wauwatosa, Apparently, they are studying whether or not they want to put some money in the budget for next year to pay for a citywide rat abatement program. My answer would be yes. And maybe that, that money that the lefty mayor wants to apply for the the bus rapid transit system to help you get from downtown to the medical college, maybe like five minutes faster and it's going to tear up lanes and take traffic lanes away and destroy parking and hurt businesses. Maybe you don't fund that. And maybe you deal with getting the rats out of your community. And out of people's grills, text, Jeff, my brother owns a home on the east side near Farwell and Brady has had continual problem with rats on and off for the last five years. Oh, I'm not even going to read the rest of it. I'm just I'm just not. But it kind of goes through you. But Tom Barrett, we've got millions of dollars to operate the flop. I mean, the hop. But rat abatement programs. Well, okay. you find that rat in your grill, buddy. Well, all right. What are you going to do? Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Yeah, I live in a condo on the northwest side of Milwaukee, and we had a bad problem for a while. Bats took care of it. But what we found out is that people with bird feeders, birds are sloppy eaters, and the uh, right. squirrels get in it, and it goes on the ground, and the rats love that. They come from miles around to get that bird seed. So it's a tough decision but if you have rats and you have bird feeders time to get rid of the bird feeders
0: right absolutely and and see part of it is you know part of it is human there's there's no question about it i mean rats if people don't keep their garbage you know packed up tightly and just let the garbage out i mean it attracts rats and so i I do think part of it is an education process And, and you're right with the bird feeders you just can't have that food there but i mean I don't know, Tom. I mean, to me, rats are a huge health problem, I and mean, not to mention a quality of life issue. You you can't allow communities to be run over by rats. That's for sure. Yeah, no. Th- thanks for the call. I mean, seriously. I mean, what's you know? I mean, they they carry diseases and things like that, and if you're You know, you're out and about and I mean, I'm still going back to the first call. We had the lady from West Allis who talks about just rats running up and down, you know, the alley behind her house and coming out of the sewer. And my guess is if you see five or ten coming out of the sewer, my guess is you probably have a a thousand that are coming out of, of that are that are down there. And I do get the idea that there's this kind of. Well, you know, we we understand that this is kind of an issue, but you know, we we're trouble, having trouble finding you know money to put in the budget to deal with this. You're having trouble finding money to deal with this. Look, let me take a look at your budget, and I am willing to bet Wauwatosa, West Allis, Milwaukee, that I could find lots of things that you are spending money on, a trolley, for example. Just saying, that are a lot less of a priority than I don't know getting rats out of a community. But that's just me. It's 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Minister of Defense, the great Willie Davis. They're among 19 choices you can pick from for the best defensive end in Packers history. Check out their resumes and vote for their slot in our Green Bay 100 all-time team. Text 100 to 414 for a link to vote. You know, I I am very very sensitive to this whole notion of the the meet the me too movement and the idea that you have women who were sexually harassed, who just felt that they weren't free to come forward and and go public with these things and and I'm I am very very sympathetic to it. It is interesting though th- that there's always a point in time I think where sometimes these well-intended movements end up becoming weaponized and and i wonder whether that's happening in certain instances for example norm macdonald you no know norm macdonald is group right he's a comedian all right he he got bumped from the tonight show yesterday following something that he said about the Me Too movement. here Here's what he said. Apparently, um, well, they, they came out and they said, the Tonight Show story, Jimmy Fallon pulled the plug on Norm McDonald's appearance following his controversial remarks on the hashtag Me Too movement. Out of sensitivity to our audience, and in light of Norm McDonald's comments in the press today, the Tonight Show has decided to cancel his appearance on the, the telecast last night. So they said, so I became curious. Okay, what did, you know, what did what did he he say? And apparently he said that he was happy the Me Too movement had slowed down a little bit. He continued, "It used to be 100 women can't be lying, and then it became one woman can't lie, and then it became I believe all women." And then you're like, "What?" Well, like that Chris Hardwick guy, I really thought got the blunt end of the stick there. All right. Now, maybe the guy's wrong. All right. Maybe the guy's wrong. But, you know, what What he's he's not saying all women are liars. He's not saying, you know, but he's saying, OK, well, you know, it, it, it started out being, you know, you've got a 100 women who are making this complaint. They can't be lying. And now it's gotten to the fact that you've got this, you know, that you have to believe everybody that comes up and makes a claim. Now, maybe you agree with him. Maybe you don't. All right. But but that's now the type of thing you can't even apparently say that without getting yourself bumped from, uh, again, a TV show. The fact that you could question at all whether or not under any circumstances at all this, all right, somebody might not be telling the truth or whatever, and and you can't even say that in America in 2018 and, and not lose your Tonight Show gig. Again, I, I, I am very supportive of the whole concept of what's behind the Me Too movement. And I think, you know, if people have been victims, male or female, uh, of sexual harassment, you know, it, it's, it's certainly appropriate for them to raise their, their concerns about that. But now you can't have somebody that even says, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I, I just want to see this slow down a little bit because, I mean, my words, not his, I, he, he's expressing, well, may, maybe this is becoming weaponized in certain instances. You, you can't even say that anymore. Without then being bumped because you are insensitive to to the cause, and I guess it's that kind of groupthink that gives me pause. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I agree with him or, or disagree with him with the overall point. But if you simply say, "Well, gee, maybe we should look at these on a case by case basis," um, that automatically means, "God, you can't even say that anymore. Or you're going to lose your gig." That's where we are nowadays. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It has been decades since the Mid-Atlantic has seen a storm like Florence. Gene Miller has the latest in the Category 4 hurricane as that hurricane bears down on the nation's coast. That's at 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Um, I hope everybody, if you have relatives, let's try to be positive here, if you have relatives that, or friends that are in the path of that storm and they are considering you know, having a hurricane party and where, and just riding it out, I would, this is just me sitting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I would encourage you to call them up and say, just get out. I mean, this, this is the real thing. And they don't quite know what the storm track is going to be, but they know this is going to be a whopper. And they know once it hits, wherever it hits, it's just going to stick around. I mean, that's one of the big concerns they have. They think this could drop 30 or 40 inches of rain. And so where wherever it ends up hitting, it's going to be there for a while. And it, as we talked about yesterday, for, for people who decide that they want to ride it out, well, okay, to what end? So you're you you know, you're there, you're putting your life in, in danger of storm surge, you've got trees that come down on your house, you've got no power. W- what does being there help you do? I mean, it, it really accomplishes nothing except put you in harm's way, and unfortunately for the first responders and stuff – then, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we're not, you know, we're, we're not going to come get you. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the first responders, many times they will go try to bail out people who were supposed to leave and didn't. So for what it's worth, if you know anybody that's in the path of this storm, I would encourage you, if you've got kids or grandkids or friends or whatever, to get on the phone and say, just get out. You know, come visit us. Get on a plane. Get in a car. Get away. Come visit us. For, it's, we're going to have great weather for a week or so. It'll be absolutely tremendous. All right. I, I want to. I wanted to talk about a, a big picture. There's, there is an issue. I know Steve Scafidi talked about it. It's been all over the news. There's all this outrage, and I, candidly, and this happens from time to time. I, I'm not interested, really, in the, the story that's on the surface that everybody else is, is talking about. If, if you haven't been following this, uh, Charlie Sykes, my friend and colleague here. Founded Right Wisconsin, which was a, a website that we that was was a part of Journal Broadcast, and then Scripps and, and Charlie Charlie ran it. Um, after Charlie left here, he, he took that with him, and I, I kind of lost track of Right Wisconsin. But the the ownership of the website's been transferred. I don't exactly know who the owner of this is, but the the editor is a guy named James Wiggerson, who is a, a conservative pundit who's been around for years and years. He appears regularly on Steve's Scafidi's show um, in the mornings, on Monday mornings. Okay, so he, he does an opinion piece on, on the Wright, Wisconsin website. And the opinion piece, actually, the way I first found out about this story is somebody from CNN was sending emails to at least one, and my guess is more local newsrooms saying, have you seen this? Are you doing any follow-up on it? And and Wigderson's piece, it it ran last week, and it was an editorial that he wrote called Back to School. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but, you know, he's talking about how he's getting his kid ready to go to first day of school at Milwaukee Vincent. And he talks about how he was a graduate of Milwaukee Vincent, and he talks about how you know, what what a bad state of affairs MPS is in. Okay, that, that and how, you know, MPS is in you know horrible shape, school fails to meet expectations, etc., etc., etc. All right, and then then he goes on to the point of his piece, and I'm going to come back to this in just a second, about how given that MPS in general is struggling and it's failing to educate a lot of kids, um Vincent is Milwaukee Vincent is, is breaking grounds on a 5.7 million dollar athletic stadium which is part of a plan by the Milwaukee school district to spend about 11 million dollars on district athletic fields in the next few years okay so that's that's the point he's saying okay MPS is failing you got all these problems and and they're spending all this money on the school all right that that's the point then what everybody has in fact picked up on is he, he then goes on as he's writing about this. This is what he writes. He says, the new stadium is part of an $11 million improvement in athletic facilities for Milwaukee public schools, presumably so the little convicts can have the best facilities before being sent to the penitentiary. So the next time somebody tells you that MPS needs more money, remind them that more money does not mean a better academic performance, and ask if they ask for evidence, ask them if $5.7 million could be better spent on a new stadium for a failing school and then ask them if the students would be better off with a new track instead of shutting down the school entirely okay, so that that's what he writes and and what what people have fixated on, including like the spokesperson for m p s is his, his reference that the new stadium is part of $11 million improvement in athletic facilities for MPS, presumably so the little convicts can have the best facilities before being sent to the penitentiary. And the reference is, oh, my gosh, how dare you say that there is little convicts and how insensitive you are, etc., etc. and we're so offended by all this. Okay, I know Wigderson, for his part, says, well, I was referencing the situation of the kid from, Milwaukee, Washington, who was the convicted felon who was allowed to participate in the basketball tournament. All right. I, I you know, I I'd, would would I have written what Jim Wigderson wrote? Probably not. Was it? Let me say definitely not. Was it an inartful choice of, of words? Yes, it was. Is all this outrage that's out there? Is this legitimate? Or is this just, again, people being offended for the sake of being offended? I I don't know, right? But that's all everybody's talking about, which is the the use of the phrase, you know, little convicts in the the penitentiary. That has been discussed out infinitum. I don't want to talk about that aspect, all right? To me, the more interesting aspect of this story isn't the language he chose, but rather it is the underlying issue. Now, right now, we have a governor's race that's going on. You have Tony Evers, the superintendent of schools, who is out today proposing he wants to take millions of dollars, taxpayer dollars, and and put it into MPS and a couple other schools and a variety of programs. MPS, if you look at per-pupil spending, I mean, MPS per-pupil spending is higher than lots and lots of school districts across the state. We put a bunch of money into MPS. And one of the things that we found is that just putting money into MPS really hasn't changed things. Now, I mean, I guess the argument is, well if you put more money in, it it'll it'll get better. And the fact that you know we're spending eleven or twelve thousand dollars, you know, per pupil or fourteen thousand dollars per pupil or whatever that number might be, and there's different ways you calculate that, that that if, if we spent another three or four thousand dollars more, that would suddenly turn things around. I, I don't know that I necessarily buy that. But but we are putting money in. Tony Evers wants to put even more money in, and that's going to be one of the issues that's discussed in the governor's race. But here is the point that Wigderson raises that I think that's interesting that is lost in the choice of language that he uses in that one paragraph. And that is they're building a $5.7 million athletic stadium at Vincent High School on the city's northwest side. Um, the project is expected to be completed in the spring of 2019, The operations chief at MPS says the project is in keeping with the MPS strategy to educate the whole child, redefine the MPS experience, and rethink secondary schools and efforts to ensure equitable access to facilities for all students. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. $5.7 for a new athletic field. What do you think? Stick around. One forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, seriously, Milwaukee Vincent is one of the struggling MPS schools. They are spending five point seven million dollars on a new athletic stadium, and they say, and and this, by the way, isn't being paid for by donor dollars or anything. It's like that. It's not like. You go to some of these school districts, especially out in the suburbs, and they build Taj Mahal locker rooms, but they do it based on donations from private individuals. This, is, this comes out of money that was in like the construction budget and things like that. It, it's money that could have been used for other purposes, and MPS is deciding that, well, we want to redefine the MPS experience, rethink secondary schools, and ensure equitable access to facilities For all students, when you talk about the high school experience, for many, that's extracurriculars. Now, don't get me wrong. I I think going to, sitting on nice bleachers to watch a football game is a really nice thing. All right, I understand that. But if you're dealing with a struggling school system and you're talking about millions of dollars, do you put that millions of dollars into the classroom or do you put it into a football stadium, 414-799-1620? And I guess I just look at this, and, and to me the answer is so self-evident. If you've got – look, it's, it's one thing if the school is succeeding, and then you want to deal with the amenities. Gee, we want to have a nicer basketball arena. We want to have a nicer football stadium. I, I get all that. But if isn't the primary mission of schools to educate kids – and shouldn't that be the top priority? And shouldn't things like a nice new football stadium, shouldn't that come after you've figured out you know, what the spending problems are for academics? Joe in Oshkosh. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon, sir. What do you think? Isn't it the reality that maybe one or two kids might athletically make it in their lives? How about we put the money into academics and we get the graduation rate back up and Milwaukee public school system and get people out of poverty and get people employed. Yeah.
0: I mean, right. I mean, if, if you've got, right, there's just, if you've got $11 million sitting around and the, the choice is, okay, we're going to improve some athletic fields. Oh, that that's great. I'm not saying that's bad. We can improve athletic fields or, we can reduce class size, or we can, you know, buy new stuff for the classrooms, or we can, you know, uh, you know, do st- add audiovisual stuff, stuff that can teach the kids how to read and do basic math and be prepared for the future. As opposed to, gee, it's a nicer place to sit for a Friday night football game. To me, this sounds like a no-brainer. Just a no-brainer. As
6: someone who, especially as someone who lives in one of the suburbs up here in the Fox Valley, who is in a small school district that struggles to get dollars for everything we need to do because we're a small district. Right. Seeing our tax dollars go to Milwaukee public schools and seeing that much money going into athletics, it it breaks my heart and it disturbs me a lot.
0: No, thanks. Well, and and that's the, again, that's the idea. Am I saying building a stadium is a bad thing? Because my guess is that the stadium and I, I don't think I've ever – I've been to Vincent High School a number of years ago, but I don't think I've ever been to the athletic fields. My guess is the stadium's pretty crummy. All right, that that would be my my sense. And I'm sure a new stadium isn't a bad thing, but don't you have to have priorities? Here's a text from Dane in Milwaukee. No matter how much money you put into MPS, currently about $16,000 per student. Last I checked, if you don't spend it wisely, you won't see positive results. Um, I am a parent of two MPS kids. We need trauma-informed schools, and that means equipping teachers and staff through education and resources. We need counselors, psychologists, and social workers to help kids with all they're dealing with. We need to focus on what kids need to learn and grow, and until that is the focus, you can spend a million per kid, and it won't fix anything. Uh, yeah, and and maybe maybe what you do is that you do that and you invest this in, I don't know, trying to put those things in as opposed to the school all right. Here's another text. I assume we won't have to hear about teachers spending their own money for classroom supplies, overcrowded classrooms, etc. In addition, I didn't realize sports was MPS's biggest failing. No, the answer is because sports is not MPS's biggest failing. Scott on the South Side. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon to you. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a Franklin parent, and uh, for a lot of years, more years than my kids went to school there, they called their football field the swamp, yeah. and and. The, through fundraising and fundraising alone they they got enough money over a couple of years to to build a football stadium but um our school is is very doing very well academically and even with that I would never expect that the, that the city uh folks would would uh you know right. be willing to pop up the money for a football field i' would much rather have it spent on on you know technical stuff for the school and and making sure that the the gpa stays up and all that i I just don't understand well I never understood it yes but Right. Uh, I just think it's ridiculous that, you know, if they want to try to find a, a wealthy, uh, you know, right. somebody that lives downtown to to, to build a farm. Okay. Uh, maybe they didn't even try to do that.
5: Well, I, right,
0: right. And again, and like I say, I, I have, over the years, I, I have mocked some of the suburban school districts for some of the, the Taj Mahal locker rooms and stuff. And and the response to that, and there is a valid point to it, has always been with Jeff, what you have to understand is uh, th- this stuff, it was at least privately fundraised. You can argue that maybe... That's a weird priority, but, you know, if, if this school has this giant, great, you know, locker room that rivals the ones that you have at the New Bucks Arena, at least it came from private dollars. Okay, well then, I, I mean, I understand, it, It's even if it's a, a, a questionable priority, at least it's private dollars. This isn't private dollars that's being the, used. The
6: fundraiser, the fundraiser took a lot of people involved in a lot of work. It took, it took some effort. Right. I don't think
0: there's any effort going on. No, no. Thanks for calling. And and again, what's frustrating is we we talk about pleading poverty. We talk about here we we need millions of more dollars to put into some of these troubled school districts. And again, I I don't. I personally don't think money is the answer. And if you look at the per pupil spending in MPS, it's it's not like we are starving MPS students of money. And and look, and I'm not. This is I'm not faulting the teachers. I understand that there are pervasive problems. I'm just saying that money. if anybody thinks money alone is an answer, it, it hasn't been in the past, and I don't know why it would be in the future. I, I'm reading this description, this is in the Journal Sentinel, about the, the stadium they want to build. Um, okay, they're going to replace aging bleachers. Um, there's no restrooms or there's a lack of restrooms and a press box. Here's their amenities, outdoor lighting. Now, oh, that's nice. Home and away team rooms. That's nice. A press box. Hmm, that's nice. A locker room for game officials. Hmm. A concession stand, restrooms, a ticket window, and a new scoreboard. That is all. That is all delightful, and I'm sure it will enhance the Friday night experience amazingly. But if Johnny and Joey can't read and can't add the numbers up on the scoreboard, right? It's all. It seems to me pretty useless, and it seems to me a question again of, of priorities. Given the problems you have in a school district, can you plead, and and by the way, there's some success stories in MPS, right? There are some success stories in MPS, but given that you have, if people don't want me to use the word failing, I'll use the word struggling. Given the fact that you have a struggling, challenging school district, if you've got $11 million sitting around, is upgrading athletic facilities the best way to spend that money? That is the real underlying issue, and I think you know let's not lose let's lose sight of the forest for the trees the the real issue is is that the best way to spend money and i i think people would be hard pressed to, to argue seriously that yeah that's how let's spend 11 million dollars upgrading basketball stadiums or football stadiums when um i don't know everybody is sinking around us just saying it's 157 jeff wagner wtmj lots of great stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program we start with a national story. Is President Trump in as much trouble as the polls suggest? Stick around. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, when I hear you report that Aaron Rodgers is part of a rehab group, mm-hmm. I, I know that means like rehabbing injuries. I just, I have this image of a bunch of guys sitting around drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes talking about I mean It's, <laughs> it it's like, like
6: a rehab. <laughs> right. It's
0: like, it's, okay, I'm, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Jeff, and I, I just, and I know yeah. it's not, it, I know it, it's not that. Okay. So, in addition to watching and listening to the Brewers game last night, do you want to know what I did? What did you do? All right. See, thank you. That was, that was it. Ask <laughs> me what, what I did.
5: What did I, what, you do?
0: Uh, um, I, I, got, I read the first hundred pages of the Bob Woodward, Bob Woodward book, Fear.
3: Did you like it?
0: Um, yeah. It, it's. You know what? We didn't get advanced copies. Sometimes they send advanced copies. So, I, I, I just got mine delivered. Um yeah, it's, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm through the first 13 chapters. Mm-hmm. It's about 300 pages and maybe a little bit longer. And so I've, I'm, I've read the first hundred. I I had a couple reactions to it. First of all, I'm not sure all the, it, and this happens a lot of times with books that, that you get the headlines about it. I'm not sure they've necessarily been fair. I mean, I actually think the book, first hundred pages, is a more fair, I mean, some people portray it kind of as a hit job of the Trump administration, I I didn't. I'm not really seeing it like that. I mean, I it's they 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 talk about, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily plowing new ground. They they talk about how they, they quote people as talking about how impulsive the president is, and how he's kind of got a limited, a short attention span where he bounces from one thing to another, and how he's obsessed with a couple issues like the the media. It's like that but i don't know that that's necessarily unfair or or anything and and then i mean in the sections that i've read so far they do for example they they talk about north korea and how the obama administration just left him a mess and and even people in the obama administration just you know talk about how we've really handed you the, this problem because we you know we didn't deal with that so i i mean i think there's elements of that the the one of the parts i read was about the whole fbi thing and the whole FBI thing where – I mean, they describe about how, you know, when there's these, these leaks about the Russia and the things and all the, the false dossier reports, you know, FBI agents apparently came to Reince Priebus and said, you know, these stories that the New York Times are running, they're, they're BS. And the Trump administration said, well, will you – you go public and and say that because we're getting killed on these type of things, and then the FBI said, "Well, no, we we can't do that." And it, it, it's it's at least the first hundred pages. Now, again, I maybe the last two thirds of the book will will change, but I thought it was, I thought it was. I, I don't know that I think it plowed new ground on anything, but I did not think it was the hit piece. It's got it's certainly got unflattering things in it, but it talks about. I mean, I, I think the unflattering stuff would be like the president's again his, his personality, the fact that he's very mercurial, the fact that um, he, some presidents have incredibly inquiring minds and, and they want to they want to understand the nuance of all sorts of policy. And, and as a matter of fact, sometimes I think that can get you hung up, and that's that doesn't appear to be President Trump. But again, I don't know that that's. I, I don't know that that's plowing new ground, and I don't know that that's unfair. So I, I actually, I've, I I found it to be interesting. I read the first 100 pages last night. My guess is I'll, um, we're doing a fundraiser for an event up in West Bend tonight. So I don't know. I, I'll i finish it the next day or two. But I, at least my initial reactions were I, I didn't think it was the hit piece that some people are are making it out to be. I want to start off this hour, though, discussing the the, the president and the polls. It it is interesting, and and reading the first hundred pages of, of Fear, and they're talking about that's the Woodward book, and, and some of his advisors were making this point early on in in the campaign, and it's something that a lot of us forget. You see, for example, poll numbers. All right, you see a generic ballot thing. Democrats are favored by thirteen points over Republicans. Right, that that is as meaningless a statistic as you can find because you don't vote for a generic candidate. You vote for your local congressman or, or woman. And and so that's why you have to, you know, it, what, what the mood of the public is nationwide doesn't matter. It's how do they feel about their local representative? Similarly, and this is a point that they, you know, the advisors were trying to tell Trump early on that you don't, you don't care about the national polls. You know, a national opinion poll that doesn't matter at all. Why? Because we elect presidents state by state, and that's that's what they were saying. I mean, here, here, you got this is your roadmap for victory. You got to figure out how you're going to win this state, this state, this state, and this state. What your overall numbers mean doesn't matter. It Doesn't matter if you lose New York seventy to thirty at your you know or you lose at 5149 and if you're losing New York 70 to 30 the, those numbers are going to be rolled into the overall polling thing see what i mean it's just if you're going to pay attention to polling you you have to know what you are looking for and the national polls if you're trying to get elected really don't matter nevertheless they perhaps are a barometer all right well uh CNN fake news network and all according to the president. Here's the deal. There's a couple new polls that are out and they do not have good news for the president. Two new polls show that his job approval rating has now fallen below 40%. A CNN poll released Monday found that president Trump's approval rating had dropped to 36% in September down from 42% in August the same day A poll from Quinnipiac University found his approval rate at 38 percent, down from 41 percent the month before. Uh, The Quinnipiac poll found that 55 percent of Americans believe that President Trump is not fit to serve as president, while 41 percent say he is capable. 65 percent said the president is not level-headed. 42 percent said he is not mentally stable. Um, Again, the CNN poll has similar numbers, but now you have these polls that show less than four out of ten Americans, if you believe the polls, believe uh, that the president is doing a good job. The issue becomes, number one, do we believe that? And number two, what exactly does that mean? And I guess number three, can the president turn this around? So let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Do you believe these poll numbers? And does it matter at all? Now, again, these aren't a poll numbers of voters in North Carolina or North Dakota or West Virginia, which is the states that you, know, you care about, you know, Ohio or Florida. This is overall percentage. Do you believe that four out of ten people or more, um, only four out of ten people or more or less, approve of the job the president is doing? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I'll tell you how I analyze these polls, and we'll discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two sixteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two eighteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, is describing his injury as a sprained knee said he didn't take any pain medication on Sunday night because he doesn't like them there's a lot of adrenaline he said it's pretty sore the last 3 days he said he feels a little better every day he said he did not practice at all today and stayed at the stadium for treatment um my guess is he plays i i, I think if if he possibly can and a sprained knee much better than some of the other different situations that are out there all right New numbers are out. They are not positive for President Trump. Do you believe his poll numbers? Um, he's below 40% in the most recent two polls. Dave, downtown. Hi, Dave.
5: Yeah, I mean, I was just, my thought on it, she's probably somewhere in the 40s. There's just a lot of people don't want to answer. But, I mean, I, I, to me, this goes back to, like, Obama. You know, everybody thought Obama was going to lose, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Guy had horrible, horrible uh Ratings, you know, look like the guy was a sure loser, and all of a sudden they got him, they're whole handing with Christie, the guy gets real. I, you know, I think if the economy keeps going the way it is, you know, I think most people they're not going to change for change's sake. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the guy just liked probably somewhere in the 40s, the 40% of the people like him, the moderates or whatever, they only have to swing 10% of the vote.
0: Yeah. So I yeah. Thanks. For, I mean, I think. My sense is those numbers are probably a little – I think they're probably accurate. I mean, I don't know that I have seen a president, and I've said this before, that has had more relentlessly negative coverage. matter of fact, Mary Mount Pleasant makes that point. She says what it means is the steady drip, drip, drip of the negative news media over the last year, and three-quarters has taken a toll. Obviously, he doesn't help his own cause with his tweets and his his outbursts. I think – you know, there, there is something to that. But I mean, I, I, I don't, these numbers don't strike me as being out of line. To me, the more interesting question, though, becomes what does this mean? Now, I think on the one hand, it, it means that the Republicans in 2018, coming up in a couple months, I, I think Republicans are going to be in trouble. I'm not making predictions yet as to whether they're going to be able to hold the house and hold the Senate. I have, I'll have to look at individual races and I'll do that as we get closer, but I think they are going to be in trouble because I think what you have is you have a a very motivated anti-Trump force, you know, the the resistance and they are willing to run through walls to try to send a message, whatever that means. And and that's going to be voting for democratic candidates. And um, I think, you're going to see that. We've seen lots of wave elections over the past, and I, I think this could very well be a wave election. Now, what does that mean, though, big picture, for, you know, 2020? And let let us assume, for the sake of argument, that we stay out of a shooting war and that the economy continues to grow, right? Does, does the fact that you have President Trump right now with a 38% approval rating, does that mean that he, he can't be reelected? And the answer to that is absolutely not as, as well, because in many respects, as Dave was saying, people vote their pocketbook, and the question is going to be: All right, you know, if if you're doing well, if you feel secure in your job, if you you know you got money in the bank, that chances are you're going to want to keep going the same direction. That's number one. You know, number two is it depends on the alternative. I continue to believe, and I understand some people disagree with me, but you know, 2016 was less. A vote for President Trump than it was a rejection of Hillary Clinton. People just didn't like Hillary Clinton, and I understand. Whenever I say that, I inevitably get the email: "Well, she won the popular vote, yeah, but that's not how you select presidents." She, she was, I think, genuinely unlikable. She was a a symbol of of a time past. Everybody had an opinion on her. And so I think it was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. Now, in 2020, the thing is, everybody's going to have an opinion on President Trump. The question is going to be, I think, who do the Democrats put up against him? Do you put up a more centrist, sort of moderate Democrat, somebody in the the vein of, of a Bill Clinton? All right, that's one thing. Joe Biden would be that guy, although I don't know about Biden's age. Or do you go to the the far left? Do you drag in an Elizabeth Warren or a Kamala Harris or somebody like that? Somebody genuinely scary, at least scary to, I think, a lot of America. You do that, and then I think a lot of people might start considering Trump as a more reasonable alternative. So I I think a lot of what happens in 2020, if you're trying to guess it based on the results of polls like the ones that came out last week – or even what's going to happen in November? I think you're making a mistake, Dave and Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, first of all, I put no value in polls whatsoever. Okay. Number one is so many people are so politically and you know illiterate, so to speak. Um, that it, you know, the, the results are sketchy at best. And second of all, it's kind of like some of the points that you hit on. Well, you can't use generic whatever because right. you when you're running then. And it, and it comes down, it, it really does come down to what's the situation like in your immediate locale. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, simply put, um, you know, I'm not a Trump fan. Believe it. I mean, right. You know, but uh, nonetheless, you know, he's following through on certain things and whatever, and, and kind
5: of like what you just said with the alternative.
0: Well, well, right. I mean, ex- exactly. I mean, the idea is: do you approve of his job performance or not? Well, my guess is there's some things you approve of, Dave. There's some things that you don't approve of. But you know, the, the question becomes: Would you vote for him again? And the answer is: You don't know. Kind of depends on who he's running. Who's running against him? Is it? Well, ins- yeah. yeah. I mean,
5: you'll never get. You'll never get in, in this day and age. Now, with social media and, and everything else, you're never going to get the perfect candidate. I mean, that's just
1: reality. You know, and, unless, just,
0: unless you are running yourself, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, even, God, yeah. No, I don't think it'd be a vote for me, that's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it really, you know, it's just, it, it, it's so it's frustrating because there's so many people that are, like I said, so naive and mm-hmm. illiterate about, you know, really um, the candidates and right. even how the whole system works. Just the, the, the whole, you know, fervor of, you know, with votes, well, she won
5: the popular vote. Well, don't you understand how the system works? It's designed that way. Well, well, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Thanks. I and mean, that, that, that is one of the interesting things about. Again, I've read the first third of the Woodward book, Fear, and that's one of the things that they're saying to Trump. First of all, I said, you know, no, don't. You don't care about the national polls. National polls don't matter. What matters is how do you get to was it two hundred seventy electoral votes? These are the states that you have to focus on, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you if you lose California by a couple million votes. That doesn't matter. It's it's not important. You have to focus on those things. So, I, I think this is something. It, the, the thing about polls is sometimes they do become self fulfilling prophecies. We we will find out in November whether Tony Evers, who I think is grossly unprepared to be the governor, I just I just do. But you know we'll find out. I mean I I. It was an easy call to predict that Tony Evers was going to win the Democratic primary because you had that story. There's a couple polls that showed him ahead by like 20 points. And so there were a couple other Democrats that, candidly, I thought would give Governor Walker more of a run for his money than Tony Evers will. Evers, there's no reason to vote for Tony Evers. By that, I mean the Evers support are going to be people who hate Governor Walker. And that's always going to be the issue. Nobody's going to run out. I don't think it's, oh, Tony Evers is going to be a great governor. Tony Evers wouldn't be a great governor. But the question is, are there enough people that dislike Governor Walker this time that are going to come out and are going to vote against him as opposed to the people who like him or are going to vote for him? It doesn't matter. You know, Tony Evers, in that respect, in my opinion, is kind of like a cipher. There were candidates that I think would have stood on their own merit, but those candidates didn't really get a chance, and part of it was because of polling. Because so I think a lot of Democrats see, well, we're trying to beat Walker or Evers is ahead by twenty points. There's a matchup poll that shows he's beating Walker. Don't believe those numbers, and and so here we're going to vote for for him. And so the polls become a self fulfilling prophecy. Is Trump underwater? Probably so. What does it mean? Not much. Two twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When I first started practicing law, I, I worked at what we call the old federal building, 517 East Wisconsin Avenue, right across the street from the Fister Hotel, two blocks down from what is now the U.S. Bank Building on Wisconsin Avenue. Where we would park at the time is on, on the lakefront, where there is now O'Donnell Park. There used to be a big open-air parking lot. You know, and you 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 drive in. It was a surface parking lot, and there'd be a guy standing there, and you'd give him whatever it was to park at the time—two bucks, five bucks, whatever it was. Across the street, on what would be the south corner of that that building, so it would be Michigan Avenue and um, the Michigan Avenue and and the the extension of of Lake Drive. They there was also a, a parking lot that they used as an overflow parking lot, and I can remember at the time and this is going back to the 80s, I thought, here you have prime chunks of lakefront real estate. How stupid that we're not taking advantage of them. So the county finally came around to my way of thinking, and they said, okay, we're going to do some stuff with this. So what did they do? Well, on the area where I typically parked, they built a parking garage, the failing O'Donnell Park parking structure. And on the other side, again, prime lakefront real estate, they built a bus depot. Honest to God grew, they built a bus depot on Prime Lakefront Real Estate. All right, so that stayed for a while until somebody kind of had this light bulb go off and say, you know, this is really insane that we have this Prime Lakefront Real Estate and we have a bus depot here. So they came up with this idea for something that was called the Couture. And the Couture was slash is supposed to be this high rise, 44 stories. Multi-use facility, 44 stories, luxury apartment tower, 312 units, commercial space, etc. And, and they're going to put it where the bus depot was. Now, in fairness, I, I think this is a great use of, of that space. It is something that Milwaukee should have done, well, 35 years ago. So the idea is we're going to have the couture. We're going to put this all there. It's all going to be great. You're going to have all these wealthy people, these empty nesters who want to be in Milwaukee. People want to be by the lakefront. It's going to be great. All right. That, that, that's fine. So we, we cut a deal with this developer. The developer is going to get financing. HUD's going to help do all this and everything's going to be great. Well, if the, the bus depot has now been torn down, but if you've been down to that site, you'll, you'll notice something. And that is that other than tearing down the bus depot, there ain't nothing going on down there. It's just big, empty space. And, and that's because the developer is stuck. The, under the terms of the agreement, construction on the Couture site was, was to be undertaken. It was supposed to be started in February. All right, well, nothing is going on right now. uh the developer, the development company got the site that they were sold to him it was sold to them for really a bargain price about five hundred thousand dollars and the deal was, all right, you've got to get construction started by February. Well, nothing has happened there, and the problem is that um apparently it, it can't happen they can't get conventional financing. it can't happen unless they get money through HUD. HUD isn't acting on this. And you have a number of members of the county board who are now saying, Hey, wait a second. Maybe if this developer can't pull the trigger, if they can't get this done, maybe what we need to do is we need to take this land back. And apparently there's provisions where they could say, All right, we're going to give you the money you paid this $500,000. We're going to give it back to you and we're going to get somebody in here who can, in fact, make it happen. Now it gets even more complicated because since they tore down the bus depot right there there's this whole issue with federal transit money and um you know if they take the land back they could have to pay millions of dollars they being the county could have to pay millions of dollars to the federal transportation administration because what what happened was they they were able to sell the property for below market value because there was going to get to be this deal that they'd um again extend like the streetcar line that was going to be down there. It's all a little bit complicated. But the bottom line is something's got to happen and nothing is happening. So now you have a couple of these county supervisors who've looked at this and were told, hey, this was supposed to happen in February. Nothing's happening. And they are saying, you know, if if we don't get a solution, you now the window for development is closing. If we don't get a solution, you know, we may need to, to do something. And that might mean – all right, finding a developer who can really take care of this and, and do this. Look, here, here is my take on this. This land has been grossly underutilized for years and years. And if you can find somebody who can pull this off, 44-story, you know, building, I think it is the ideal use for that space and will be for the first time in my lifetime an appropriate use of that land. Unfortunately, I mean, I think there's all sorts of red flags up there now wondering whether the guy they've got assigned to do this, whether he's going to actually be able to deliver. Here's what I think needs to happen. I think you obviously want to avoid going back to square one. That's, you want to try to soldier through with the original plans and the original developer, but you can't allow this to go on and on and on. Construction was supposed to start in February. It's not. The real question is how close are they to to this? And I, I think you have to put some timetables on there and say, hey, look, you know, if by February of 2019, for example, we're no closer. If by the end of this year, by December 31st, whatever that date is, whatever is reasonable, if you haven't gotten this done, we're going to have to seriously consider finding somebody who could. This this Kotor project is all kidding aside. It's one of the keys to downtown development. It's something that, if done right, I think is going to be a success. I I do. I think it is the appropriate use for that space, and I think it should be something that lots of people make a lot of money on. And if the developer, because he can't get the financing or he can't get the federal grants or whatever, can't do it, maybe that's one where you should be actively looking for somebody who can deliver. The clock, however, is ticking. All right, when we come back. 18% Eighteen percent of forty three dollars and thirty seven cents is what? Stick around two forty two. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, just a couple minutes, but I am fascinated to discuss this with you. I am um, going to i am going to take a river cruise, going to Europe in a couple of weeks with our Fox World Travel thing and 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 one of the things one of the things that's different in, in many parts of Europe. I, I don't know about where the part we're going, but one of the things that's different in Europe than in the United States is in Europe at least in many parts of Europe you do not tip the cost of your service is built into your bill did you know that group you you did yeah okay it's you know it it's just you 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 just don't i mean and you know you you go you order the cost of uh, again the, the service and all that it's just it's just put in there it, it's factored in so you do not tip your your bill is your bill of course in the united states we do it differently you know, we we tip, and so the servers are kind of dependent on the the whim, the generosity, the crankiness of, of patrons. And some people tip very little. Some people tip 10%. Some people tip 15%. Some people tip 20%. Some people tip more. But you, as you're, if a server, you, you never know what that tip is going to be. In addition, from the perspective of, of diners, there's always – there's always that issue at the end of the night where you get the bill and it's $47 and you're thinking, "Okay, what's what's 15% of $47?" Okay, 10% is 4.70, carry that, you know, whatever. You are doing that that calculation. I bring this up because there was a story the other day in the Wall Street Journal about guy who owns a series of restaurants in in New York, um Union Square Hospitality Group, and how he has been in his terms, fighting this lonely fight since 2015, in his various restaurants, they have a no tipping policy. And they explain this very clearly to the customers. They say the cost of the service is built into the price. As a result, you are going to perhaps, you will be paying more. You order a plate of pasta. You will be paying more than you would pay for a comparable place, plate of pasta across the street. But you, you're not expected to tip. We have built the cost of service in. He said he did it for a number of reasons, including the fact that you know what he was finding is that um, you had servers who were making a bunch of money based on tips, but the people who were working in the back of the house, the cooks, etc., they you know they weren't making any money at all because generally speaking, they weren't tipped. And so he thought this would be a fairer way to do this. He said some of you know he's lost you know so how has it worked out? Some of the servers have have left because they think they can do you know better elsewhere. Um, some of the people have stayed. He said it has made it easier, for example, to keep again some of the cooks installed because you know they're they're starting to make more money. And the mic, the reaction among the customers has kind of been mixed as they try to educate people that all right, you you don't need to. Figure out 10%, 15%, 20%. You you don't need to tip. It's factored into the price. So let's tee this up. Our number, we only got a couple minutes, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. Would you like to see more restaurants adopt this model? And I'd be curious, if you work in the hospitality industry, I'd be curious to hear your reaction. Or if if you're like me, if your ex- only experience in restaurants is sitting on one side of the bar or one side of the table and ordering, would, would, rather than have to worry about, gee, what should I give my server at the end of the, the meal? You know, is it 10%? Is it 15%? Is it 20%? Do I do the calculations? Would you prefer just a, a one- one price fits all, understood that this is going to be the cost of the meal and it's going to wrap in and it's going to include everything. And then the restaurant owner theoretically theoretically, doesn't have to fool with processing tips and they can then distribute the, the money, increase the wages that they're paying the servers. In a perfect world, it gives you more money that you can perhaps pay the cooks and busters and st- stuff like that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Would you like to see us adopt the European model? Would it work? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, I just came from one of my favorites, or be my most favorite place. It's, it's great. It's called Maile's. It's great street food. It's huge. It's the best food quality. But and I love the owner. It's and reason. Uh, anyhow. He just came from there and had lunch and uh, I did more than twenty percent because they just love the Right. and people so much. But I'm afraid what happens with most people is that they just according to the waitresses, if they don't like the waitress the people in the back, they never consider the cook. Right. They don't consider bus boys, they don't consider any of those things. Now if this is built in, so I think it should you don't have to say that stuff is built in for only the back people with people in the background doing the, doing the chef work, doing the work, doing the, uh, the cleaning of tables, Right. And I think that would be really good. And a lot of times I see on the bottom of the check, you're uh, doing 15% of right. the actual thing, which also help. Right. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good idea to have it built into the bill for the people in the back.
0: Right. No, thank, okay, good enough. I mean, and, and that, see, and that that's... The, the way they do it in in Europe, that that's it. And the idea is, all right, we're going to we're not going to depend on you know the I don't know if it's kindness or whether that might not be the right word of strangers or whatever. This is we're going to build this into we're going to build this into the cost because you know in, in, in most industries they don't it's not a tip dependent sort of thing. You know when you go when you go to buy you know something at, when, you, when you go to buy something at the grocery store, all right, you don't tip the cashier. You know, the, the cashier is compensated by whatever the comp- whatever the, the store is, and the cashier's salary is built into the price you pay. The restaurant industry is different. Would you like to see it go this way? Paul, you're on WTMJ. Paul, good afternoon.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure, Paul. First thing I'd like to say is I've been to Europe several times, and I've never had problems with the service,
5: mm-hmm. never.
4: I've had more bad service here in the States than I have had in Europe. But my daughter, she attends Iowa State. And she's a server in a uh, national steakhouse. There are some evenings she makes less less than minimum wage, especially in the beginning of a school term, because the Europeans, the Asian students, they'll go and treat themselves to a nice dinner, but they don't know enough to tip. Right. Or sometimes the students are too broke to tip. Right. So I can tell you, we'd be okay with standardized tipping.
0: Okay. And you think your daughter would, you think she'd figure, she would figure she comes out better ahead of that if we did it that way?
4: Absolutely. She's always traveled with us to Europe, and as a server here now, she definitely would be in favor of
0: that. And you don't think it would affect service? You don't think if people were just all being compensated, you know, the the same? You get your salary, whatever your salary is, and presumably you'd be paying the better servers more than, say, a starting server. You don't think it would affect service at all?
4: No. Again, in Europe, I've never had a problem. Here I have left that one penny tip I have.
0: Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let me sneak in one more call before we have to go. Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Would you like to see something like this in the U.S.?
5: I like the idea of it being built in, like they are in Europe. And the reason is that, for instance, you go to, I don't know, what size restaurant or bistro you go to in Europe. The waiter or waitress typically is not waiting to become an actress or an actor. They take professional. They take yep. pride in what they do, and it shows in the and in the way they treat you, no matter what. But more importantly, it must work because they've been doing it for years. I have one more thing to say about that. I go buy a pair of shoes for three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, or clothes. They don't even measure my feet here.
1: Um, you
5: know? right? And that's that's part of service. You know, I don't care how much you spend for shoes, but they don't know how, a lot of shoe salespeople don't even know how to
0: measure your clerk. Right. Thanks. Well, no, no, and Ben and again, but you don't I don't want to get too far afield on this, but you're you're not again, you're you're not tipping the clerks. I um I I tend to I don't want to say I tend to overtip. I probably do. But I mean I I, I don't I, I'm not sure we're ready for this in this country, to be brutally honest with you. But it, it is true. If you look at the European model, lots of people who are servers, you know, as a as a career they, they do it and they like it. I'm not sure we're quite ready for this in the U.S. yet, so I'm, I'm not gonna hold my breath. Okay, when we come back, John McCure, uh, Melissa Barkley, we'll find out what they have on their mind. Please stick around, it's 2.55.